So, um, questions, comments, discussion? Did that, did that sit? Did that not sit? Did that work? Where are you? What's happening with your practice? Does that make sense? <laughs> How do you work with it? <laughs> so may, maybe a little bit more about the difference between the, the, the you know, what's actually there and then what we add to it and the difference between the two um, as far as the suffering goes. So there's, like say there's physical sensation and then the difference between that and what we add to it. So when there's sense contact, you know, what comes with that is, is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So there can be an unpleasant sensation associated with it, okay? Or an unpleasant mental uh, quality connected to it, yeah? But that, that is then separate from what we think about it. And then what we think about it is, the, is then often expanded and then the values or the views or the opinions that we have about it. So one can learn to train one's attention. So for example, if you have physical pain, there's the ability to be present with the physical pain, but to, to, to watch the arising of any kind of tension or contraction or fear or anxiety or any kind of story about this must mean that I have cancer you know, or that my knees are going to fall off. Now, if you're meditating here and you're sitting on the cushion and you've got a sensation in your knee, you can see how crazy some of these stories can get. Obviously, some of these stories need investigating because sometimes there's some uh, elements of truth that need to be explored. So the ability to know the difference between what is genuinely needing exploration and what is a festival of fear and anxiety is, is the difference between uh, wisdom and discernment and just being caught in a, in a cycle that, uh, that's out of control. So feeling arises, and, or contact arises, and with contact arises is a, a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling. Then there's a perception about it, okay? One perceives my knee is hurting, okay? And then, and then with the hurting, then comes a, something usually bigger. So one needs to begin to watch that festival of when it starts to do this thing of, oh no, here we go again. It's always going to be like this. My knee's always going to hurt. It's never going to stop hurting. I'm not going to be able to walk. It's going to be like this. For, you know, it's gone. It's, it's off and it's running, okay? So if one is able to catch that and then just come back to, oh, there's an unpleasant feeling, and there's fear around it, and soften around the fear, then one can come back just to the direct contact of the sensation itself and the unpleasantness of it, and the suffering can end. The suffering's after the contact. That's right. Yeah, we're not taking away the pain. That's the right. Initial, well, the initial part, but we're, we're right. trying to not make it a lot worse. It's the, the rest of the arrows. The first one's still going to be there. That's right, yeah. And what about one thing leading to the next from the standpoint, like you used the coffee as an example. When I used to drink coffee, I wanted coffee, but it was so I could have a cigarette. So can it just go on to one thing to the next? I mean, absolutely. It does go on from one to the next, and we can see the way that works, that the association with coffee is then also associated with cigarette. 
And so one movement towards that will then stimulate the movement towards the other. Well, then there was something else that it would lead me to as well. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that well, that's often the case with desire, is, is that desire is, is seeking gratification, but is not satisfied with just that. So then the sense of gratification then moves from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. That's why in our society, when we look around, we don't see a lot of chilled out, peaceful, relaxed people. <laughs> because the society is based on, on greed and desire. I mean, the capitalistic economy is based on, on motivating people to want to have things, not to reflect on their desire, you know? So when you start reflecting on your desire, then it inserts the possibility for choice, not necessarily that it's going to be there forever, but there's a possibility for choice. And then to decide whether, is this skillful? Is it wholesome? Is it actually serving my needs? Is it in line with what I value? But when the whole thing is just moving, I, there's there's very little that's actually operating in terms of choice. And as a result, there's very little peace because one's just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and it's it's the, the even if one is moving from one thing that one is getting satisfied to another thing, the underlying state is one of anxiety. Of having it or not having it. Exactly. Yeah. Because getting it is followed immediately by it finishing. Okay. You know? So even though coffee is not usually ranked as one of, like, the high addiction problems, what it actually supports is that mind state that moves from getting something satisfied and the anxiety of not having it. You know, So then we start looking at not a substance abuse, but mind abuse in terms of the way we're working with mental attachment to specific gratification, and we have a patterns of addiction to that. And we don't have a way out. So anybody who's addicted, they're suffering with that. Well, there is a way out. I quit smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, so I made that choice. So does that still leave me with anxiety now that I, I'm choosing not to have? Well, you have to investigate to see. But I think any time a person makes a real inroads into their addictive patterning, then it gives a person more confidence that they have the capacity to do that. And so there will be other places, like for any of us, there will be other places where we get tripped out and stuck and where our mind moves and we don't have much choice. But when you've done something like that, that is, you know, cigarettes is no joke. I mean, people say that quitting cigarettes is actually more difficult than quitting heroin. It was pretty tough. You know? So when you've managed to go through something like that, there can be a tremendous sense of, wow, that was tough, but I did it, you know? There's the capacity to actually move against the grain. So the craving is pulling you towards the cigarettes. But there are other factors which are saying, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going that way. And you, you did it. So that will give you all the conditions that support confidence for knowing that it's possible, that you've accomplished it, that you managed the difficulties, that you weathered it, and that you can bring that to other areas of your life. So as I understand it, there's two kinds of desires that are talked about in terms of the second noble truth. Desire for experience, being, not being. And then 
I like the way you were putting it, you know, bringing awareness to the situation, you might be able to put a stop to this kind of train to the festival, so to speak. <laughs> Make a choice that's not just completely driven. It's hard for me to see what it would be to make a choice that's not rooted in the desire for experience to be or not to be. Because that seems to cover the gamut of why I might desire to do something. And I kind of, you know, when you're making a choice, there's something that's motivating you to make the choice. So Ajahn Chah uses the example that when you go to a store and you buy a banana, you know, why do you buy the peel? You know, you don't eat the peel. But, you know, when you go to the store and buy a banana, the banana comes with a peel. So, you know, there's a sense of desire as being part of our initial impetus for practice. It's part of it, okay? And then there comes a time where you don't need the peel. You can throw away the peel. But you can't throw away the peel before you're ready because then the banana rots, okay? So there's a point of what you're talking about which is accurate, that there actually takes quite a clear uh, realization in order to be in a place where ignorance is not operating. And when there's no ignorance, there's no desire. So this is (laughs) non-trivial. It's not like one wakes up in the morning and decides that one's not going to operate with ignorance anymore and one's going to have no desires. You know, it actually needs to be the maturation of practice in order to realize that. So there are subtle desires that are operating in order that direct us to do particular things and make particular choices. But what you're differentiating is the difference between subtle ones and much more um, gross ones. Yeah. If, if you go to the store, getting back to the, to the banana, and you buy a very green banana, you're not ready to eat what's inside of it. You have to wait and sort of watch it mature and maybe hold on to whatever the peel represents before you can actually get rid of it. Yes? So, you know, each of us, we come with different attributes and skill levels and history and tendencies. And, you know, our own path unfolds in a different kind of a way. Like flowers, you know, you can plant a bunch of seeds and yet they bloom at, you know, they can bloom at slightly different times or vastly different times, you know. So in some ways it's not our concern, you know. What our concern is just to attend to what needs to be attended to so that supports the blossoming. How long it blossoms, it's really not our business. You know, so you don't pull on the flower to make it blossom faster. I mean, there might be other things that we can do that can support it by getting sure that it has the right amount of water and heat and to keep the snails away and keep the deer away, you know. So, you know, having the deer come and munch at it is probably going to have an effect on when it's going to blossom, you know. So we have an ability to interact with it, but there's lots of ways in which we, we just have to support the conditions being ripe and then let go of the attachment of when it's going to happen. Now, with bananas, there's also ways to make them ripen faster. You can put them in a brown bag with other ripe bananas, and it'll ripen in one-fifth the time. So when you know the conditions that support ripeness for a banana or for a flower or for a human heart, then you can begin to bring those conditions together in a way that supports the ripening of uh, what is needed in order for the heart to open and attachment and desire to release. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Does that answer or respond to no, what you're saying? It is. And, yeah. And there's, I was relating to um, suffering and how it relates to me and my life and if a situation happens where a particular person calls me on the phone and I know that this phone call is going to end in, you know, I, I see tears and, and drama and everything like that, then I have the choice of not answering the phone and not having the conversation. And is that where you stop it? So I think it's really important to know that each of us has capacity. And when we're pushed at a certain level, then just limiting what our system is being impacted with is certainly one of the choices that we have. Yeah? But that choice is a very limited choice because there's only a limited capacity amount that we can stop the world impacting us. All right? So we can do that, and there's times when it's really essential that we do that. But to realize that that actually is not the ultimate way of stopping suffering. The ultimate way of stopping suffering is to begin to understand what's happening in this conversation that's so activating and to f begin to dismantle that. And that doesn't have to do with the other person. That has to do with this. Now, certainly within a healthy human being, there are, it's helpful to have clear boundaries. And with some people, it's really important not to have more contact with them or to have contact with them in very limited or specified ways, okay? But what needs to happen again and again and again is, is that the attention needs to be turned back here. Where is all of this landing that I'm so activated? And what do I need to do here that I can have more ground, more equanimity, more capacity, more skill, more resilience, that I'm not, you know, flying off the handle with, with a conversation? Now, with some things, with particular people, this is not a small project. This is like years. You know, family members are right up there, you know, on the kind of activation Richter scale, you know. And so then one needs to just bring a sense of, well, what do I need to do in order to negotiate this conversation so that I'm as, l as resourced as possible? I have as much time afterwards to crash and to fall apart as I need that I can have support people around me that can help remind me of what makes sense, you know. And, and can, you, can you have a conversation with them that works for five minutes? I'm available for five minutes and then i got to go, so let's talk about what we need to in five minutes. You know, so that one begins to find innovative ways of putting parameters around something so that it's not the whole complete blowout, you know, but something that maybe a quarter blowout. <laughs> <laughs> but then what happens with meditation, or my experience is, is that one uses the meditation in a very sincere way, is then one starts deactivating the reactive mechanisms in here, and then it's much less of a problem. And so I'm not getting stirred up and activated in the way that I used to. I mean, I had a stepmother that was really quite a, quite a trip. And I used to, I mean, this is when I was a kid, you know. And I... I you know, I would sweat bullets before going to see her because it was just, it was horrible. And I remember after many, I mean, this was a focus of meditation for me for years. And, you know, the anxiety and the stress and the, you know, the worry and the fear and the kind of scenarios and, and some of the things that happened were 
not it wasn't that I was just making this stuff up in my head it was really not a very pleasant situation and then after meditation and after some experiences that I had it was almost as if I don't know what had happened but it was something really fundamentally shifted it was like she didn't affect me any longer and so it was like wow you know you go from being you know like crying and upset and you know distressed about seeing her to like there's nothing she can, you know, it's her stuff. I don't need to get invested in it. You know, if she's going to be nuts, then let her be nuts. You know, I don't have to get nuts with her. <laughs> One person being nuts is plenty. <laughs> but that was a big thing for me. You know, that was not a small thing, and it didn't happen quick. It happened after quite a, a process. But that was, you know, that kind of thing really illuminated to me what was possible. You can have extremely challenging situations, but your internal relationship can can really shift. And it happened also when I was at the place in Toronto. So the property manager there was really a trip. On some levels, he was lovely. But on other levels, if you crossed his lines of authority or what he thought his authority was, he went absolutely ballistic. And so I had arranged to do something there, and we had a very clear agreement, and he asked me to do several things that were not part of our agreement, and I said no. And he went, you know, he was cursing and name-calling and said he was going to tell on me and tell the big teeth. I mean, it was like, what am I dealing with? It was like, this guy is nuts. And I remember, you know, you know, curling into this fear and avoiding him and not looking at him and, you know, this kind of contracting, kind of pulling away, which is a normal thing when, like, the carpet's been pulled out from underneath you. And then I realized, he's nuts, but I know where I am. I don't need to be nuts with him. If he's going to be nuts, let him be nuts. I don't need to worry about it. I know where my integrity is, and I can be relaxed and be around him, and if he's going to go fly off the handle and be crazy, that has nothing to do with me. It is entirely his problem. And I thought, wow. (laughs) I mean, so it shifted from me, like, avoiding having anything whatsoever to do with him to feeling a considerable more level of safety and confidence that actually it, it wasn't to do with me. So... And that's one of the things about learning about meditation and being able to focus on where the actual problem is, you know. Are there any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Heather. I'm still always amazed at how fast this stuff happens. Like, and most of the time when I catch it, I've already two steps down. I catch it in retrospect, and I'm wondering what's the skillful way of working with that because the Contem- you know, the kind of conventional context is to is to feel bad, you know, and then there's a lot of judgment, and you just feel like crap, you know. There I go again, you know. And there's a lot of it's pretty easy to to just it doesn't have a good outcome. And I'm wondering in this context, and I'm sure they've already figured this out, but there's a, there must be a skillful means. Is it just contemplation of of seeing where you went before and how to, how you work with that skillfully, so it's not just another guilt fest. So. So what has to happen is is that one has to establish harmlessness as an absolute priority, okay? And so what happens when one when one activates the guilt fest is to realize that's the next arising, and what is essential is a is it an incredible vigilance not to believe any of that, okay? 
So it is natural that there's a gap between like our insight and our integration of our insight. And that these things take a while before we're actually current with them. We're actually present with the arising. Okay? So catching it two steps down is better than catching it when you've been born into it. Yeah? But we don't see that. We see that we blew it. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So when that feeling, I've blown it, arises, then there needs to be incredible vigilance. This is harmful. Don't go there. This is judgmental. This is critical. This is not helpful. It's not kind. It's not compassionate. It absolutely serves nothing useful. And that's the next arising, because immediately when there's a kind of movement, there's a reaction to that. And then one needs to watch what happens there. Because that is the that is the real That's point. That's actually more juicy than the one you missed exactly. in the first place. That is absolutely more juicy because those patterns are deep, and we need to begin to get some toeholds and some traction where that is actually not the driving uh, voice of our lives. And whatever we need to do to do that is where we need to do that. You know. So, yeah. But it's very, very, very unusual that a person can have an insight into the way this unfolds and then it's finished. Mm-hmm. It's like decades mm-hmm. of kind of practicing with it and getting a sense of it and having it be less time and, you know, missing it and all the rest of that. It's like, you know, we are trial and error machines, you know. Well, just seeing it as 80% at least, you know, if you can at least just see where, you know... That's huge. That's, yeah. To me, that's just been the last 10 years, just yeah. seeing it. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. But when you see it, then you've got choice. When you don't see it, you don't have choice. Any other questions? Comments? No. Well, let's close with the sharing of blessings, and then we can do announcements. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, <coughs> guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing. May all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all harmful states of mind, until I realize Nibbana, in every kind of birth, 
May I have an upright mind With mindfulness and wisdom Austerity and vigor May the forces of delusion not take hold Nor weaken my resolve The Buddha is my excellent refuge Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma the solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled.